0: If you're here tonight, then you find us in the second week of about a 14-week series in which we are going to work our way through significant chapters in the Bible to give us the big overall picture of the Bible. Last week, we began with chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, the beginning of it all, and Dr. Don Batten was our speaker, and I have some of uh, his books that he had last week, and I've got some tonight, likewise, to make them available for you. Just to revise from last week, we learnt uh, that God is the God who made everything, outside of himself of course that God exists that he is the creator and that he is the one who brought creation life and matter into being and there is only one of him Uh, genesis chapter one certainly gives us a hint that there's a complexity to the divine being uh, that he has a plurality within unity because it talks about let us make man let us make man in our image The Bible also says, Genesis 1, that God is a God who talks, he speaks. He's not an inanimate force, he is a being, a personal being, who communicates to us. And Genesis 1 also reminds us that everything that God made is good, was good. Something tonight, as we will learn, that has been changed. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 also talks to us about humans. It reminds us that we are made in God's image and in God's likeness. People talk about what does that mean. Does it mean the fact that we can communicate? That we have intelligence, that we can have choice, that we have a capacity to know Him, uh, that we create like He does, we make things, uh, that we work like He does. Ultimately, it means that we rule, that He made us in His image to be rulers in this planet, that He made us stewards over creation, and we have a responsibility for it. Genesis chapter 1 reminds us, and 2, that we are male and female we know that but also reminds us that when god made us he made us without sin he made us innocent and genesis chapter 3 explains to us how this has now changed in our world and outlines for us some of the different consequences that come from it so we're going to work our way through chapter 3 tonight and if you haven't got don carson's book the god who is there that i encourage you to buy a copy it's about 15 16 bucks from kurong Or you can go on to gospelcoalition.com and you can actually hear him, Don Carson, the author of the book, actually giving lectures. They're free. You can download them and just listen to them as you go. Um, Just one warning, he makes some mistakes. Uh, But he does. Uh, Don corrected some of those last week and I'm going to correct one tonight. Um, He's a brilliant Bible teacher, but he's fallible. He's not infallible. So you need to listen like I have said to you on numerous occasions, you need to listen to anybody who teaches the Scriptures with discernment. And you should listen to me with discernment. You should be evaluating. Is that what the Bible says? And that's our authority, what the Bible says. We place no authority in any other. Genesis chapter 1 and 2 certainly lays the stage for Genesis 3, particularly in chapter 2, verse 17. It's where God has placed the man in the garden. And the Lord God spoke to the man and said to him you are free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it you will surely die chapter 2 verse 17 sets up the stage for the events of what's going to happen in genesis chapter 3 adam and eve are in the garden they have work to do they're in this delightful place it's there is much to enjoy there's a place of plenty and fruitfulness a place of abundance Uh, The man and the woman are in harmony with each other. There is no marital friction. Uh, Man with the animals, man with creation, man with God. Everything is in perfect harmony and everything is going well. And in the midst of that, there is this one simple prohibition. From all of the trees in the garden, however many were there, hundreds probably, from all of the trees in the garden, you can freely eat. But from that one in the middle... There were two trees in the middle of the garden the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil from that one the tree of the knowledge good and evil don't eat from that one eat from all the other hundreds don't eat from that one eat from that one you will die it's a test we'll talk a little bit about the tree in a moment so genesis chapter 3 falls into these four parts there is firstly well what does happen they break the command many of you know the story some of you may not And then there are some initial consequences we'll talk about that second paragraph then there is God's judgment which is where Carson makes the mistake and then there are the long-term effects which we still uh, bear the consequences of even today so if you've got your Bible or if we'll put on the screen verses one to six this is the first um, first paragraph and the first introduction to what goes wrong in our world it's the rebellion it talks about a serpent, talks about the woman, talks about a man, talks about the tree and how they are all interrelated. We are reminded, firstly, that this serpent just turns up. We are told that it's made by God. The serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals that the Lord God had made. This, too, was a creature from God. This is not another divine being or a force that is equal to the Creator God. This is one of the creatures. And Genesis doesn't answer the question for us of... Well when did he get off course? But other books, other prophets in the Bible will tell us the answer to that and maybe we can talk about it just very quickly in passing. He was of the angelic order and he rebelled and we aren't given a lot of detail. We are told that this serpent was um, shrewd, sneaky, smooth talking and that this serpent is not just simply a serpent, not just simply a snake. Uh, But we know through other parts of the Bible that this serpent is either the symbol of or a possession of or a manifestation of another being, Satan, the devil, the evil one. And so the serpent, the evil one, approaches the woman. And we aren't told how the modes of communication back in the Garden of Eden, but now we've got a snake that is talking. I don't know if you talk to animals, but this one can talk. And there is nothing she's not caught by surprise maybe back there in the garden of Eden all the animals could talk maybe wouldn't that be nice if i could talk to the animals (laughs) stay focused Um, and he approaches the woman interesting approaches the woman not the man but approaches the woman and asks a question and the question is one that wants to create plant the seed of doubt in god's word Which is still the tactic for today doubt God's word and doubt God's goodness did God say did God say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden now it's also subtly suggesting that we have the right to question the creator's word did God say that the implication being well that's ridiculous we still do the same thing today I have couples outside the church who come to me and they want to get married and so I explain to them through what the Bible says that the wife has to submit to the husband and the wife, the lady, often goes, <clears throat> I don't think so. That's her setting herself up over, I have the right to question God's word. I don't need to submit to it. I am the ruler of my fate. I decide my own destiny. And so on. Anyway, so you've got the serpent now exaggerating, saying to the woman, planting a seed of doubt in her mind. She corrects him, his exaggeration, and she does so well at the beginning. She says, no, 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 we can eat from any tree in the garden. There's just one that God said that we can't eat from. He did say that. He said we couldn't eat from one. And then she gets it wrong. She adds something and she omits something. She adds, he did say we can't eat from that one tree in the middle of the garden, nor can we touch it. God never said that and he said and we will die in fact the creator said and you will surely die she sort of waters down or softens the certainty of the judgment the consequences of doing something wrong so the seed has been planted then Satan the serpent gives a very specific attack upon God's word he just flat out denies what God had said you will not certainly die contradicting God and again this is the common thing today that one of the first things that people will do is to deny the doctrine of judgment deny that there are consequences for sinful choices it's way back in the beginning way back in the beginning of human history in verse 5 he in fact says in fact not only will you not die but you will become like God for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be open and you'll be like him you will know good and evil. That has a ring of truth about it and a whole lot of falsehood. Typical of the evil one. And God does know good and evil, but he knows it in terms of his omniscience, in terms of he knows all things. And he knows it in terms of he pronounces that's good and that's evil because he's the creator, he's the ultimate moral judge. She doesn't have that ability, but she will need to become evil, to experience evil, to be able to make that evaluation. And that's where the evil one is subtly seducing her. She now has a desire growing in her that she wants to pronounce what is good and what is evil. She wants to be independent of the creator. She wants to make her own choices. I wanna do what I want to do. I don't want you to tell me what I can do and what I can't do. That attitude still persists in us even today. And when that attitude is there, it means that now God, the sovereign creator, is now a rival. That he says, I can't, and I say, I can. I am now a rival, and he is a rival to me. We are opposed to each other. This is the beginning of things, the wheels getting off track, us going astray. What is this tree in the middle of the garden that the serpent is talking to the woman about, and she's responding about? Well, we don't know what sort of a tree it was. I wanted to say it's not an apple tree but I don't know that it wasn't an apple tree. I don't know what sort of a tree it was. I've told you before that I think it was a banana. Why? Because it was so appealing. (laughs) When you get to my age you can tell dad jokes just like that. We don't know what sort of a tree it was. It wasn't a magical tree it wasn't special fruit it wasn't something different to other fruit that perhaps were in the garden at that time so that she ate if they ate from that particular sort of fruit it caused some sort of chemical reaction within them and a switch flicked and they suddenly could tell the difference it wasn't that it was simply a tree a fruit tree that God had selected in the middle of the garden and he said don't eat from it probably mangoes Don't eat from it, it's a test. And I think that's all it was. The test is, will you trust me and will you do as I say in the midst of plenty? When I say you can't do one thing, will you trust me? It's not simply the breaking of a simple rule that she is involved in. It's actually an attitude of rebellion, an attitude of defiance, an attitude of rejection, a de-guiding of God, as Carson calls it. It's me first, me in God's place. And the Bible says in verse 6 of Genesis, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, well, of course, the creator made it. It was pleasing to the eye. And it was also desirable to gaining wisdom. She took and she ate. She took and she ate. And those two words, take and eat, Are the words we use tonight at the communion table the lord jesus says take and eat he will have to die before those words become the verbs of salvation these are the words that actually lead us into sin and through the lord jesus these are the words that lead us into salvation she rebels she takes she eats where was hubby during all this time well The Bible says, and she gave some to her idiot husband who was with her, and he ate it. The word idiots is probably not in the original Hebrew, but it should be. Yeah, it's not there. Gave some to her husband who was with her. Here is a man who has abdicated any responsibility who has just simply followed blindly he was with her he was complicit he is an accomplice he is a partner in this he is certainly no less guilty and I think probably even more guilty because God spoke to him and said this and we aren't told this but my guess is and it's Adam who told her that Adam passed it on that Adam had the exact words so there has been a test there has been a tempter and they have now crossed the line they have failed and they have rejected the creator's command they have rebelled against him this is not a myth or a fairy story this is history this is what happened at the beginning of our human race so what are the initial consequences then of what happened well very simply it says um, their eyes were opened and they realised they were naked which sort of implies they're going around with their eyes shut, doesn't it? And then they open their eyes and suddenly you don't have any clothes on. It's not like that, it's rather the eyes of their understanding are now suddenly opened and that which didn't worry them before their physical nakedness now does, that they are now vulnerable that they're now exposed they are aware that each other has done something wrong That's the problem. And it's rather strange, silly even perhaps, of their cure for that is that they take fig leaves and they sew them together, which indicates they have some intelligence and some abilities. They sew these fig leaves together to try to make coverings for themselves. They're trying to cover their shame, but they can't. They can't undo what they have done. They've crossed the line. They've done something wrong, and that persists even to this day. The other initial consequence of this is they hear the Lord God's footsteps coming in the garden in the cool of the day. Something he had done, it would seem, on each day for fellowship with a couple. But now they hear and the response is they are afraid and they hide. That's what sin does to us. Makes us afraid of God and makes us want to avoid God. That we don't want to face the truth. So now their fellowship with God has been broken. Their sin, their choice in this case also makes them avoid telling the truth because God comes and he calls excuse me he calls out to the man Um, and the Lord says uh, where are you and Adam says I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid and God says who told you you were naked no reply have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat There's a reluctance to confess up. There's a reluctance to be honest, to own that they have done the wrong thing. And then, of course, that which Adam started and we've been continuing ever since, he blames the woman. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you put here, she's the one. She tricked me. Well, she didn't really, did she? He was with her. It was the serpent who tricked her and he just followed it along complicitly see this he's blaming her it's not my fault denying his own responsibility self-justification same thing happens even today these things linger for us in our world their fellowship with god is broken and now their fellowship with each other is broken that's what sin has done in our world and there are more consequences that come actually into the created order If we move into the third paragraph, we all find, well, what does the Creator say to all of this? Turns to the woman, says to to her, "Um, what is this that you have done? She says, the serpent. He deceived me and I ate. And you've heard me say it before. Adam blamed his wife, the wife blames the serpent, the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. Uh, They don't get any better, people. So then the Lord says to the serpent, and these are the words of judgment. Now, this is where Carson gets it wrong. Please note in your Bible that there are not three curses. Who gets cursed? Verse 14, cursed are you above all the livestock. The serpent gets cursed. The evil one. The animal does and the symbol of the evil one. And then you jump down to verse 17. The ground gets cursed. Please note that Adam and Eve... Those sinful are not cursed by God. The Bible doesn't say that. So what are the words of judgment upon the serpent? Cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. That's the judgment. Did the serpent always go like that? Probably. But now God is simply bringing meaning to that which already existed. He does that in other parts of the scriptures verse 15 is worth noting and underlining in your bible because in the midst of judgment and judgment that god is speaking to the serpent to the evil one god gives a promise not to the serpent but to the man and the woman to us god says to the serpent, i will put enmity hatred between you and the woman and between your seed your offspring and hers that offspring he singular will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first mention. It's a promise that God is saying, I am going to bring a deliverer. He will be a a product, the seed of the woman, virgin born. And he will come and he will crush your head. And in the process, he will bruise his heel. If you've seen Mel Gibson's uh, movie, The Passion of the Christ, at the beginning of it, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. And in the midst of praying, this serpent, this snake starts crawling across his legs and Jesus stands up and puts his foot down on its head and crushes it. That's the demonstration of this verse. That Way back in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve, mankind, first sinned, right there in the garden, God gives a promise. And the Bible is the unfolding of that promise of one who will come, who will deliver us from this mess that we've got ourselves into. Second word of judgment is to the woman God says I will greatly greatly increase your pains in childbearing in pain you'll give birth to children secondly your desire will be for your husband but he will rule over you so for two things number one there is an increase in pain because of the phys- the sinful choices they had made there are physical consequences and there is an increase in pain it seems to imply but doesn't necessarily have to mean that there would have been pain in the garden in a sinless state because now when she has children, she will be outside the garden. So whether that's a change of meaning, I'm not sure. But certainly there is an increase in pain um, when she has children and that lingers today, of course. But there's also relational pain. It says that your desire will be for your husband, Uh, not meaning... Your desire for him will be romantic, it'll be sexual, you'll be attracted to him. It's not that desire. It's the desire, you will desire to control him. You will desire to rule over him. You will desire to dominate him. And that lingers today, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, all the guys agree with me. (laughs) What? (laughs) And God says, but he will rule over you. There is marital, relational disharmony and pain, uh, that one will want to dominate the other, that one will want to assert their will over the other. That all comes about because we live in this fallen world. And I want to point out to you that this is not the way that things have to be, it's the Lord saying, this is the way things will be. Sadly, it's the result of sin. These are the consequences, not a command. It's not something that it has to be that way, that women must have pain in childbirth. There are some people who do that, who say that it's, it's a sin, it's uh, wrong for us to give painkillers to women having childbirth because of this verse. You now, the same people would argue that therefore it's wrong for men and a woman to be equal in the marriage relationship and the man should actually dominate the woman. I actually think the Bible teaches that that is a product of sin. And it's not the way that our marriages are to be conducted. Headship does not mean to rule over. Headship means loving leadership to the glory of God. Another story, another sermon. The result of sin for the woman, increased pain, physical pain in childbirth, but also relational pain, this marital struggle with her husband. To Adam, three consequences. Because you listen to your wife, don't stop there. God is not saying, don't listen to your wife. He's just emphasizing that you listened to her and you did what I told you not to do. Because you disobeyed me, that's the point. Your allegiance to me should come first. I told you not to eat and you wait. These are the consequences. Second, cursing. Cursed is the ground because of you. Now there is some manifestation in the judgment of God in a created order. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, You'll eat of it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you, which it wouldn't have before. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Death is the consequence, physical death, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam has physical pain, just like the woman. He has relational pain, verse 16, just like the woman. And the Lord also points out to him, physical death is the result of sin but this passage also alludes to this other truth that the ground is cursed and now because there has been this inversion in the created order that there was God the creator who created the man to rule over creation and with the man the woman to rule over creation but now a creature the serpent has approached the woman and and included the man, and they've rebelled against the creator. There is this reversal of things. So now what God has done, because the ground is cursed, he's saying, I made you humans to be the rulers of this created order. Because you have now sinned, I will take the created order and I will subject it to you. Romans chapter 8 talks about all of the creation now being subject to corruption and to futility and in groaning and because of sin. This is the bible explanation of why our world is the way it is what's the cause of tornadoes and volcanoes and all these horrible natural disasters that happen in our world our sin and the created order being subject still to us so adam receives god's judgment what are the long-term effects they're the explicit judgments of god in the midst of judgment god gives mercy he says there's going to come one uh, who will bring deliverance verse 21 of chapter 3 tells us uh, the lord god made garments for adam and his wife and clothed them the lord took an animal now this is me surmising but this is what i believe it means the lord took an innocent animal and killed it an innocent victim dies in the place of the guilty to cover the guilty it's again a picture of the gospel and I wonder, the Bible doesn't say this, but I wonder if the Lord had a conversation with them that said, One day one will come who will be the seed of the woman who will do that. He will give his life to cover you for your sin. Notice, Carson points out that God did not say to Adam and Eve, Take off your fig leaves, be open, be honest, and be exposed to each other, and everything will be okay again. That's the deception of nudists and nudism today. It's not true. There is no cure. We cannot find our way back into that place of innocence with God. We have messed up and we haven't inherited this same tendencies for us. So God graciously makes a permanent covering, a garment of skin for Adam and Eve and clothe them. And then, partly to protect the man, but verse 23, the Lord God banished them from the garden to work the ground from which they had been taken. He drove the man and the woman out And he placed on the east of of the Garden of Eden, cherubim, plural, angels. And with a flaming sword that was flashing backwards and forwards. Why? To guard the way to the tree of life. Because of Adam and Eve's sinful choices and rebellion against God in a place of abundance and perfection. Because they rebelled. Now death has come into our world. There is disharmony between us and God. There is disharmony between people. And now we are excluded from God's presence and there is no way back. We cannot find our way back. This death that God spoke about and this death that Adam was going to experience is threefold. It's firstly a spiritual death, this separation from God, this avoidance of God, of not being open and honest with God, of being spiritually unresponsive to him. That comes from sin. There is physical death, which is the separation of soul and body um, that we all know about in our fallen world. But if our spiritual death is not changed, if we do not repent, if we don't believe, if we don't accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, then that spiritual death becomes eternal death. It becomes a permanent state. It becomes irreversible. That body, soul and spirit will be excluded from the presence of God forever. We cannot cut ourselves off from our Creator and not bear the consequences of it. Genesis 3 then, in summary, describes for us this willful rebellion. That God made us with morals, with the notion of right and wrong. It's not something that evolved or not something that we have developed. It's something the Creator has placed within us. It certainly is influenced by our environment, but it comes from the Creator our conscience and he can use that to hold us to account genesis chapter 3 this story is the best explanation of the world we find ourselves in now both with our moral dilemmas and with the fallenness of this world this chapter explains it for us this chapter also points out to us as bad as evil is horizontally primarily it's worse vertically auschwitz I had a horrible story on the news the other day of a 14 year old girl in the city being gang raped. Con artists and rip off merchants who hurt people are terrible manifestations of evil against one another. But that is not the primary evil that sin has brought into our world. It's rather idolatry that we have replaced God, that we've rebelled against Him. Our greatest need, therefore, is to be reconciled to God we need someone to save us to cover us to open the way back and the story of the bible is as we'll get to it is that it's jesus and that he's the only way that when he died on the cross and the curtain in the temp- the curtain was torn in two it's he saying the way is open you may now return to god into a relation with relationship with him our greatest problem alienation from god banished from his presence the solution Genesis 3 says to us, the seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. Let me finish by quoting these words that are out of um, Carson's book. And he's quoting another author, Daniel Miglior, who talks about this enigma that we are as humans. He says this, we human beings are mysterious, are a mystery to ourselves. We are rational and irrational. We are civilized and savage. We are capable of deep friendship and of murderous hostility. We are free and in bondage. We are the pinnacle of creation and we are its greatest danger. We are Rembrandt and Hitler. We are Mozart and Stalin. We are Ruth and Jezebel. Shakespeare says of humanity, humanity, we are a work of art. Arthur Miller says, we are very dangerous we meet not in some garden of wax fruit um, and painted leaves that lies east of eden but rather we meet in our relationships after the fall after many many deaths we are a dangerous people who need god's forgiveness they're true words aren't they and a correct analysis of the human condition so next week we continue and we'll look at the god who writes his own agreements that god begins the process of bringing the seed of the woman into the world Let me lead you in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this revelation, for this truth of this story that explains for us the mystery of why things are so wrong, that it all goes back to our choices and to our rejection of you as our rightful Lord. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand this and to repent of it, to change our ways, that you would forgive us, We thank you that through Jesus the way is open, that we can return. And we pray for healing in our relationship with you and in our relationships with others. Lord, change us and use us to pass on this life-saving message to others who need to hear it so desperately. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.